the aroma of Christ. I want to invite you to close your eyes just a moment. Close your eyes. Don't look at me. And I want to take you back just a few years. For some of you, a lot of years. But I want to take you back to a Thursday morning in November. And you're in the car with your family. And there's a pie and there's a green bean casserole and there's fried chicken and you're driving over to your grandmother's house because it's Thanksgiving morning. And as you drive along, you get closer and closer to her house, you finally get there and you get out of the car and when the door opens to your car, there's this amazing aroma that just fills the air because she's been up since four o'clock that morning roasting the turkey and making the dressing with just a little bit too much sage for your liking, but you can smell the sage cooking in the dressing. And she's made pumpkin pies and pecan pies and turkey and dressing and there's giblet gravy and there's even a little bit of the turkey liver in the gravy which makes it so good. You can open your eyes. Don't you wish you were there? Church is dismissed. Time for lunch. <laughs> aromas are amazing. And, and, and honestly, aromas can take you back in time. They can take you back to a place. All of us have experienced something where we're driving along or, or we're going somewhere and we smell something and bam, it takes us right back to some experience that we've had. There's a little town in Jessup, or in Georgia, it's called Jessup, Georgia, pretty close to the coast, just south of Savannah, about 35 or 40 miles. I don't know if the statistic holds true to this day, but back in the early to mid-80s, Jessup had the highest per capita of cancer incidence for the citizens there, higher than any other city in the United States. And the reason that the cancer incidence was so high there is because they have some of the largest paper mills in the United States. Have any of you ever been around a paper mill? Isn't that an amazing aroma? It's just phenomenal. It smells awful. It's like sulfur. I don't, I don't really know what all the gases are that are coming out of those things, but if you get too close, it'll kill you. And the reality is something in the water does cause people to get sick. The little town of Jessup is known for its paper mills because of all the pine trees in South Georgia. They harvest them, take them there, make the paper. One aroma smells amazing. Another aroma, not so much. I remember when I was a child, I, was, uh, I think it was in the 7th, 8th grade, something like that. My dad was preaching for a little church in Mount Hope, Alabama. And there was a fellow by the name of Kelly Hovatter. Kelly was a farmer. He and his brother both owned, owned farms in the town. They went to the little church of Christ there when my dad was preaching. And, and Kelly was a farmer who had diversified his farm. Not only did he grow hay, he had cattle that he ran. Not only did he have cattle and hay fields, but he also had 
chicken houses. And if you know anything about chicken houses, they're amazing because they produce lots of chickens. They also produce this stuff called chicken litter that someone has to clean out when they take the chickens out and bring in new chickens. But his prized possession of it all was the hog parlor. Kelly had a brand new hog parlor. He had a hog parlor that was so fancy, it had a cement floor in it. And the reason it had a cement floor in it is so that he could clean it out easier. Because you can stand on the outside of the pig pen and you could actually take a water hose, pretty high pressure, and you could clean it out without getting in it, if you know what I'm saying. I remember one time we were visiting there. I was just a kid, but I remember one time we were, we were at the Hovatter's house and we came outside and the wind was blowing just right. Aaron, this mic is hot. I got a lot of feedback. So the, the wind was blowing just right and it was, catching, it was catching the hog parlor. And all of that smell was coming right to his house. And I remember Kelly walking outside and he did this. <sighs> smells like money. Can you, I mean, if you own the hog parlor, it might smell like money to you, but to me it was bad. It was just bad. Aromas are amazing. They are. There were aromas that were very, very important during the time that Paul wrote this letter. There were aromas that were important during the time of Christ and preceding that because there was still a temple in Jerusalem. You know what I'm talking about? And there were certain times of the year, especially when lots and lots of the Jewish believers, they would come into the city of Jerusalem and they would bring their, what? Their offerings. And a lot of those offerings were what? Animals. When's the last time you went to a barbecue? I want you to think about that. When's the last time that you went to a barbecue or you grilled some beef or whatever you had in the grill in your yard. What's that smell like? It smells pretty good, doesn't it? Depends on what's cooking. But it smells pretty good most of the time. Well, the Jewish priests had a responsibility to take a portion of that sacrifice and place it on an altar of fire. And that fire would consume the meat portion that was there. And that meat portion that was consumed literally would cause an aroma to rise up into the heavens. And that aroma was a sweet savor unto God. You get what I'm talking about? God has always been concerned about how things smelled. Sounds a little weird. But God has always been concerned about how things smell. And in this passage of Scripture that Paul shares with us in the second uh, letter to the Corinthian church in chapter 2, he shares some stuff with us about our aroma because God is still concerned about how we smell. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. You see, Paul understood this thing about aroma. He'd been around it all his life since he was a little kid. He'd gone to the temple. He was a Pharisee of Pharisee. He'd been around the temple all of his life seeing these sacrifices and the things that were done. He understood the value of how things smelled. He understood the value of fragrance. My wife is a Avid fan and purchaser of candles. Anyone else in the room like candles? A few of you do? Occasionally we go to a mall. Not often because you just don't do that as much as you used to. And the aroma from all of those candles. I don't know how people work in those places. 
But the aroma of all of those candles is permeating out into the hallway and, and where people are walking. And then we walk by there and she's like, give me a minute, I want to go in here. And I'm like, I'll wait out here, thank you. And she'll go inside. And she doesn't have to buy anything because she brings all that smell home with her. Because you don't have to stay in there very long to start smelling like the candles. Paul understood this thing about fragrance. He says in this verse of Scripture, through us, through us, we people, those of us who are believers in Christ, we are responsible for spreading the fragrance of Christ and the knowledge of Him. So what do you smell like? That's really what I want to talk about today. What do you smell like? Is there anything about your life in Christ? Is there anything about your conversation in Christ? Anything about your, your demeanor, your actions, anything that you do? Does it smell like Jesus at all? You guys have Twitter accounts? Some of you do? Somebody posted a little Twitter thing yesterday that I saw, and it was talking about our idols. And I can't quote it all, and I didn't think to save it on my phone to look at it, and I'm not going to take the time to find it. But, but the gist of the Twitter was, if you follow the money, if you follow the behavior, if you follow the actions, if you follow the words, if you listen carefully to what the person says, at the end of the road, when you get there listening to all of that, you'll find their idols. And I think that is very true. I think that's true of all of us. If we were to follow you around, if we were to listen to your conversation, if we were, could proverbially be the fly on the wall that's around you all the time that could hear everything, I just wonder what, at the end of the day, at the end of the week, I wonder what kind of summary we could write about your life and what it was all about. And I wonder if Jesus is there. Several years ago, I was acquainted with a gentleman who was developing a golf course in a big gated community, beautiful, beautiful place. You'd probably know where it was, Jim, just north of Alpharetta. Might have even played golf there sometimes, who knows, not far from where you used to live. He was developing this golf course, and he was trying to, to purchase all of the properties that were in this immediate area so that they could develop it and make it bigger. And there was this one little piece of land, this, this like one and a half acres of property. There was an old wooden house on it, an old dilapidated home that had been there for 75 or 80 years. And it was, right in the, it was going to be right in the middle of what they wanted to be the ninth fairway. And you know anything about golf, you know that the ninth fairway is where you're coming home back to the clubhouse so you can get on the 10th and finish the second, the back half of the golf team. You know what I'm talking about? This house was, you have no idea. We should play golf someday. You can just drive the cart. So this house was right in the middle of the ninth fairway. I meet the guy. We're chatting. He was a member of the church at North Atlanta, the gentleman who was doing the doing the development. And we're talking, and he's telling me about this house, and, he's, and he, he mentions the name of a person that I knew who owned the old house. It was actually his aunt's old house. And he started telling me all of the problems that they were having and getting this purchase done and all of the challenges they were having with this individual and trying to get the property secured so that they could finish this project and build the ninth fairway. 
Well, the guy he was talking about went to church with me at the other church of Christ. And there weren't any complimentary words coming from the developer about my brother who went to church with me. What kind of aroma would you have? What kind of fragrance do you have if I follow you? We are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. We are that smell. I just want to know what you smell like. And I want you to think about what you smell like. Because you smell like something. You do. You smell like something. And I want it, I want it so desperately to be like Jesus. Because not everything that we do or say could necessarily sound like, look like, feel like, taste like, or smell like Jesus. Is that fair enough? You get what I'm saying? So my real question for you this, after, this morning is just simply, what kind of life are you living? And can anybody, including yourself, recognize Jesus in your walk? Because Paul says that we are the smell of death to some and we are the fragrance of life to others. We are to some the smell of death. To others, we are the fragrance of life. I have on occasions, and I'm guessing some of you have as well, had an opportunity to speak with one or two people in your life who found out that you were a believer and your walk was a good walk and your conversation was a good conversation and you looked like, smelled like, and, and, and sounded like Jesus. And all of a sudden, they don't like you anymore. They don't want anything to do with you anymore. And they turn away from you and they start calling you all kinds of wonderfully non-complimentary names. And they don't want anything to do with you because you are a Christian. And to them, they don't want anything to do with it. You become the smell of death. And then I've also known other situations where we as believers have conducted ourselves in such a way that we didn't look like, smell like, or, or sound like Jesus. And all of a sudden, those who may have even wanted to be in the church, guess what? They're not anymore because of us. So how do we live? And what do we smell like? Ideally, we're to be the fragrance of life. Ideally, we're to have the heart of Jesus. Ideally, we're to live out the way that Christ wants us to live. Paul asked the question, who's equal to such a task? In Christ, we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. And then he writes this in chapter 3. You yourselves, he's talking to those in the church in Corinth. You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everybody, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So let's break that down just a minute. What Paul is trying to get these guys to understand, what I would like for us to see is that it isn't about necessarily what we say. It's about who we really are. You get the difference? You've heard the old adage, I'd rather... See a sermon any day than hear a sermon? You know what I'm talking about? I'd lots rather see someone living like Christ than to hear someone talking like they're supposed to be like Christ, but not really living that out. Does that make sense? And so what Paul is trying to help us see is that there are times when you and I should look like our hearts are guided and governed and controlled by Jesus. So much so 
that it automatically, automatically impacts and affects how we, how we live and what we say. Because the last thing we want to be is an individual who says something about Jesus, who talks about Jesus, who carries a Bible like we go to church and do all of those things with Jesus, and yet our lives do not look like Jesus. He goes on. Down a few verses in verse, verse 16, he says, Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And that transformation that we go through... It's like, you, if you remember 6th grade, 7th grade, 8th grade science, I don't know when you saw the video, I don't remember exactly when I saw the video, but somewhere in your lifetime in science class, some science teacher showed you a video of that little ugly, little squirrely, little hairy little worm that climbs up on a limb and attaches itself and starts eating leaves and then starts spinning the cocoon. You remember this? From Say yes. Somebody help me here. Okay, you remember this. Okay. Start spinning the cocoon. And then the, the time-lapse photography stays focused on the cocoon. And after a period of time, the cocoon starts moving. And it starts jiggling around. And after a while, it's some kind of beating, banging goes on on the inside of that thing. And all of a sudden, bam! There's a beautiful butterfly that comes out. That is the transformation about which Paul is writing when he says... We are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Now, here's the beauty of it. Here's the beauty of walking and living with Christ. Um, sometimes it takes a long, long time for us to get our wings. I'm reminded often, because I remind myself and my wife helps me remember, it took God 80 years to get Moses ready to lead the children of Israel out of the wilderness. 80 years of age when God said, hey, buddy, how about taking these guys across the desert for another 40 years? 80 years. Now, some of you are knocking on the door of 80. Some of you have passed it. Maybe. Why don't you elbow him? I saw that. Maybe, just maybe, those of us who are a little older in the room are just getting ready to do something great in the kingdom. You ever thought about that? This year I get the privilege of turning 60 if the good Lord lets me live long enough to the 7th of October. I'll be 60. I'm just a child. I am just a child to some of you. I understand that. But here's what this child is beginning to think about. Retiring. Because that's what people do when they turn 60 plus years of age. I'm not saying I'm retiring at 60, but that's what they begin to think about. Yes, some of you in this room have retired, have you not? Raise your hands if you retired. More than once? Yeah, at least once, yeah. Guess what? Retirement's not all it's cracked up to be. Have any of you figured that out? It's not all it's cracked up to be. I want to encourage those of you who are over the age of 60 or 65 or whatever age it is that you retired to think about something. God might not be finished with you yet. 
You know, there might be something he needs you to do that is great in the kingdom of God. You ain't got your wings yet. Now, for those of us who are younger, like, let me take this front row right here. Not because you're just on the front row, but because you're younger than me. You're still in school, most of you, yes? Some capacity, you're still in school. Doesn't mean you can't do great things in the kingdom of God. You can. And just because somebody in this room is 60 or 70 or 80 years of age doesn't mean that you can't do great things too. Because you see, all of us have different gifts at different times that God gives us to do special things. And the thing that he's put you in right now is school. Well, your mother made you go to school. But God's allowed you to be there now. So take advantage of it. I'm guessing. I could be mistaken, but I'm guessing. There are at least three people that you know who really don't have a good relationship with Jesus. Is that fair? At least three? I know you go to a Christian school. Maybe only two. Okay? But I want you to understand that you have an opportunity, even at your age, to do something cool and amazing in the kingdom of God. For those of us in the middle who are between this group and the other group, we're all busy working. We're raising kids. We're playing with grandbabies. We're doing all the things that you do in the middle of life where we're just trying to figure out what we're going to do when we get old enough to retire and hope to God we have enough money to do it. What about you? Do you really think that it's just all about going to work, coming home, eating dinner, watching a little TV, going to bed, getting up tomorrow morning, showering, going to work, coming home, eating dinner, watching a little TV? Do you think that's all that life is about? There are so many opportunities that you and I have if we will just look around us and think about what God wants us to do. Who knows? Who knows when we're entertaining angels? Who knows when the opportunity that's next door to us is the greatest opportunity we've ever had to share the message of Jesus with anybody? Who knows? I'll tell you who knows. God. God knows. And you see, the thing that I want to ask you to do is to realize that God, every day of our life that we're alive, with just a little bit more purpose and a little bit more encouragement, He gives us a little bit more of His increasing glory so that we can do things for Him. It's not just about living for us. It's not just about retiring. It's not just about going to work and earning the money to pay the bills. But God gives us every day, just a little bit more, an opportunity to see somebody somewhere in our lives that we can share something about Jesus with because that's the most important thing that we could ever do. Amen. It is the most important thing we could ever, ever do. I like my job. I don't know why, but I like my job. It's fun. I travel all over the place. I help people do stuff and it's cool. I like it. But I'm telling you, Every day that I wake up, there's a thought in the forefront of my mind. Where am I going to be today and where is God going to use me today? It's with me all the time. And I want to encourage you to think like that. Because God didn't put you here to hold the chair down. He put you here to do something in his kingdom. He's given you an aroma. He's given you a smell. Something to put a lid on it. And I'm asking you to break the jar. Just throw away the lid and break the jar and come out of this thing. Because God needs this church to do greater things than it's been doing. 
I'm telling you, he needs us to do greater things than we've been doing. We've done some cool stuff, but we haven't even started. We are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. The light coming at you through the tunnel, it ain't a train. It's not going to destroy you. It's the Spirit of God bringing more light and life into your life. We are the aroma of Christ. To some, we will be an aroma that leads to death. And they won't want anything to do with us. But I pray to God that that person who makes that choice runs away from us because of our sweet aroma of the Savior, not because we're hypocritical. There are going to be some that we are the aroma of life. Life! We get to bring them into the family. Maybe it's a simple conversation. Maybe it's a small encouraging word. Maybe it's a pamphlet. Maybe it's a Bible. Maybe it's a ride. I don't know. But God does. And he puts you everywhere you are every day. And he places before you opportunities. Now my question is, will you embrace those opportunities? And will you embrace life in Christ? And I'm just going to challenge us as a body of believers to get out of our comfort zones and to open our eyes to the opportunities that are around us. And I'm just going to just be real blunt here. Those of you who retired, you need to get with the program. Because God didn't put you here on this earth to do nothing. I'm not saying you're doing nothing. I'm just saying he didn't put you here to do nothing. He put you here to be his aroma. To spread the word. Some of you are already working great. That's cool. But some of us are not. And some of us who work in 8 to 5 or 10 to 6 or whatever we work, when we come home, we do nothing. God didn't ask us to be that way. He asked us to be a light that shines. He asked us to be a light that sits on top of the hill that shines into the whole community. He asked us to be the salt that never gives up its saltiness. He asked us to be an aroma. Will you be the aroma of Christ? Will you take him with you this day? Will you wake up tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and every day this week? And the first thought in your mind is, I am the aroma of Christ. And where am I going to smell today? And how am I going to be an aroma today? And how can God use me today? And just see what happens. And if we had about 185 people, because I'm guessing we got 183 here today. Is that close? Pretty close. If we had 183, 185 people wake up every day and say, Lord, I want to be like Jesus. I want to smell just like him today. And I need to go hang out around somebody that needs to smell the sweetness of the Savior. I just wonder what our world would be like. I wonder how many empty seats we'd have here in three weeks or four weeks or a month or two down the road. I just wonder. We are the aroma. You get to decide what you want to smell like. Brandon is going to come lead us in a song.
wonderful, merciful Savior. Because truly, He is the most wonderful and merciful Savior that we ever need. And that is the sweet savor. That is the sweet aroma that you and I can share with all of those that we're around. Let's encourage one another. Most importantly, let me encourage you this week to be the aroma of Christ. Let's stand and sing. You are the one